are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the UK. I'm Mike Sullivan, I help connect businesses with tech talent, and today I'm your host. My name is Michael Sullivan and I'm your host for today. Welcome to a very unique Evolution Exchange podcast as today I'm joined by a a slightly smaller panel than usual to discuss the topic diaries of a crypto CEO. The time is quarter past two on Wednesday the 23rd of March here at Evolution HQ here in my hometown of Birchwood in Warrington. It's a pleasure being on such a podcast today in such an interesting space. As a Bitcoin owner myself, I'm I'm keen to hear about the different technologies coming up and your thoughts on the space as a whole. Um, Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. I'd like to know who you are, what you're passionate about, um, your name and your title. So let's start with you, Alex. Yeah. Hey, happy to be here. Um, hi, my name is Alex. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Campania. And in a nutshell, we are trying to do um, what ETFs did to stocks, to digital assets. So we're trying to bring this passive and simple approach of having exposure to an asset class to the asset space. So you can imagine that you, you want to participate in DeFi technology. You can easily buy in a DeFi portfolio or want to participate in all this metaverse hype. You can easily invest in a metaverse portfolio. And the thing I am like most passionate about is, yeah, I guess it's digital assets and crypto in general. <laughs> and especially in the last couple of months, and I would say in last year, I got super interested in this whole ideology with um, Web3. So how we can actually bring digital ownership and uniqueness in a digital space, and how can that influence our daily lives? Especially looking how, energy, how the generations are changing from millennials to Gen Y and Gen Z. We see that people are becoming more and more digital human beings. And I'm super excited how that actually is going to reflect in this metaverse feeling in this digital space we're going to move and how uniqueness and ownership is going to reflect there. So are people then also going to buy, I don't know, digital Nike sneakers to represent a style in a digital um, universe? I think it's pretty interesting to think about how culture and society is going to change with that movement of digitalization. Perfect. Welcome on, Alex. And over to you, Gabriel. Hi, guys. Happy to be here. Uh, I'm Gabriel Musella, uh, CEO and co-founder of CoinRule. Uh, CoinRule brings uh, the automation power to the masses. So with CoinRule, you can build uh, automated strategies for cryptocurrencies with a very easy interface. So you can say something like, if Bitcoin goes down 3%, buy this other asset at this specific price, given certain conditions. Then you press play, and this machine goes on the market and trade on your behalf. So basically, you can create algos in a few seconds with a very simple interface without knowing anything about programming. So, uh, you know, I'm very passionate about bringing uh, professional tools to, to normal people so that they can compete at the same level of hedge funds and investment banks. Um, that's what we have been trying to do since uh, 2018 with our company. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's where, where my heart is, basically leveling the, the playing field between uh, the normal people that nowadays have access to a lot of devices, technology, and, you know, soon also to artificial intelligence and quantum computing and kind of bringing, bringing, bridging the gap between those and the typical institution that are like, you know, sometimes can also be obsolete. So um, th- that's my passion. Fantastic. Well, welcome on, Gabriel. And uh, yeah, as I said, pleasure being on with you guys today. And let's get straight in with the first question. So firstly, Alexander, what do you enjoy mostly about being a CEO in the crypto sector? 
<laughs> yeah, what, what I really enjoy is, yeah, we definitely noticed that the crypto space got a lot of hype in the last couple of years, especially in, uh, since 2020. And it is a lot of fun to see how many people really get interested in the space to know more what is actually happening. Like a, a lot of people know the buzzwords, they, they read the titles, they see the big companies go into the crypto space and the NFT space. And what I really enjoy is that we can bring that to the everyday investor in a super accessible way and really talk about it. So I just love the space, I love to think about the future. And that's my job as the CEO, I have the beautiful opportunity to talk of a lot of businessmen and also see how this can reflect in other businesses. So I guess dreaming about the future and actually apply, applying it to the business itself. Perfect, thanks Alex. And yourself, Gabriel? Yeah, I think I think being a CEO in the crypto sector, it's uh, it's like being uh, it's funny, but uh, like a rock star because you know when the market is very bearish, you're like just you know in your studio, you know writing new songs, you know working on product, improving, and no one really cares. Everyone forgets about about bitcoins and all the altcoins because you know they believe it's gonna crash forever. But then when there is a big hype, then everyone is on it, and then you can kind of go around and showcase what were the last features and things that you build. So it's really there's these like uh, ups and down cycles that are really interesting and they're very healthy for the well-being of the company and also the tech team and uh, and I, I really like that so other sectors are more like kind of constant and there may be some black swan events that change the game where with us in a way it's, it's a bit more predictable so you know you know when the, the hash rate on bitcoin changes there's going to be a new bull run so there are specific uh, signals that tells you when the market is going to change and you can plan ahead with that also in terms of fundraising uh, and also recruiting the right people and then the, the other side the downside of, of being a CEO of a crypto company is actually the, I think the the the, the mission. Uh, it's a, you know obviously everyone likes money, everyone likes uh, the, the you know the future of finance. But sometimes you need to find a very good uh, mission that it's more connected to society in order to actually attract the best talent. Uh, you know people don't just work for money; they work as we know for a lot of different reasons. Like in a company, uh, you know it's a set of values they share. Is the mission is the impact the company have on you know the humankind so i think that that's what uh, sandam i need to i need to always do the extra mile to connect our uh, you know uh, software and finance mission to some big uh, trends going uh, around in, in the world fantastic and um, so we've got a couple of questions from our ceo here at evolution as well gareth i hope you're listening um firstly what are the biggest challenges as a ceo in the crypto sector Okay, so yeah, the the I think well, that that's like that. Which one? I mean, there's so many. So funny thing is that uh, <laughs> the first is that the technology is still like so primordial that uh, you know sometimes uh, you need to do a lot of spike and research uh, before getting into the definition of, of of a specific module or feature. So there's like a lot of unknowns in the, in the technology, especially you know with the with if you wanna, if you talk about blockchain, you know level two, uh, layer two. Uh, EVM and uh, you know we, we recently did a, a proof of concept on Solana and uh, you know there was good support from the community but still uh, you know auditing the code and stuff it's difficult to find the right people to do things so I think that the, one of the main difficult stuff is the technology in itself um, and secondly it's also uh, how how you you access specific community of crypto traders that obviously day trading and stock trading has been uh, FX as well has been there for a while. Uh, so it's still like, you know, the community is still bigger than crypto and, and you got the crypto community that's very technical, 
But now we are seeing that a lot of actually business people, finance people, day traders are coming into crypto finally, and they talk uh, more about prices instead of talking about you know the, the 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 latest consensus mechanism. So that's actually a good thing that I'm seeing the switches. So actually the the challenge is a little less difficult now because uh, there are like more finance professional in the field. So these are like yeah, the 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 few challenges that I see day to day. And obviously you know there is all the all the startup blues you know that. Uh, but mm. now I think we are a little bit past that because we are almost like doing a series a so you know we are kind of good budget we have a good runaway so uh, all the struggles of the beginning are, are like you know uh, like miles away from from yeah <laughs> yeah past yes see i yeah. yesterday bit uh, goldman sachs opened the first options trade for bitcoin yes. so that's obviously massive news what what do you guys think of that yeah i think that that's a bit of an overhyped news. I mean, it's an option trade, so it's based on a derivative with one counterparty. I mean, it's always cool to see big institutions trying to get access to the asset class, but it's not that mainstream adoption. So I think Gabriele actually mentioned it a bit. Now it's a lot about, often you get in the media, a lot of people are super interested in the price, how is the price developing, but not actually how is the asset and the technology itself developing. So I think what is more interesting is the adoption of the technology itself. So like what is happening in DeFi space, are companies or banks actually implementing decentralized um, based settlements processes so that there's no without middlemen or is there actual use case or is a gaming platform implementing NFTs as a technology layer for the gaming items. But it's definitely what is for sure happening is we're not in this 2017 cycle anymore where it was like, okay, wow, there's crypto, we can make a lot of money and then you find out actually there's nothing. Um, and so there's just a price bump and not, not real adoption. It's now really in going in the direction that the, the technology layer is coming into a lot of fields and there's actually use case adoption happening. Price yeah. is always connected to it, but yeah, it's, it's still in a phase um, where it's super early. It's a lot of uncertainty. I think the market is generally super uncertain. Nobody really knows where it's going when. We are, I guess we all are super convinced that it's going to be big and it's going to have a super influence on our lives. But you don't know when it's happening. There's like a, a lot of uncertainty on regulation. So how is going to DeFi be regulated? How are NFTs going to be regulated? Yeah. And these are actually big questions, which then influence how the adoption circle is going to go. Because with a um, with a clear um, but perhaps strict uh, regulation, you, you have a better chance to have actually mass market um, adoption because then you know in which playing field you're moving. And now now we don't really see that. And I guess that's the uncertainties you have. You have the uncertainties of regulations, you have the uncertainties of market cycles, but that's also a good thing in a way because if it's going too crazy all the time, you can also get um, yeah, bundled up in the fast what is actually happening. Well, so you got a, bit, a little bit excited then. What about your challenges, Alex, <laughs> as a CEO? <laughs> um, yeah, challenges. I mean, I kind of, I kind of um, talked about it already. I would say it's always this uncertainty, how, how is it going to move, especially um, Gabriele and I are in the field of crypto investments. So you can, you can be in a blockchain field, you can be in the crypto space without being actually too interested in what is the price doing. But for us, it's really giving people access to easy investment in the space. Is it through um, better tools so they can automate the strategy or have like uh, yeah, better, a better method, uh, methodology to invest in that space or manage their, manage their investments in that space? Or is it just the convenience of going into an index product instead of like the trading itself? But you are highly dependent on 
how are prices moving? Are people more interested in it now, or is it not that interesting at that moment of the market circle? And you surely have to adopt your strategy based on how in which circle we right now are. So let's say we are in a hype phase. You for sure have to put more energy to grab as much as you can in this hype phase, where it's easier to acquire customers, and then focus more perhaps on the retention once you're in a more downtrend um, cycle. And I would say it's sometimes hard to predict, or it's always hard to predict because nobody knows the future, and that highly influences your strategy. And I would say that's one of the challenges of being a crypto startup. It's not just the company; the company really have to be has to be agile in every aspect, and that's especially more in a crypto space as is as is right now. It's very interesting because we, we actually between me and Alex, Alex, we cover both sides of the medal. So it's like kind of if you want to do passive investing, you want to just put money somewhere and you want to just get the returns, you go to companion. If you want to do active investing, you come to Conjure because you can play around with the, all the mechanics and the strategies, right? So we cover probably something that's good for the bear market and something that's good for the for the when there's a bull market. So it's it's very good that we are both here. Yeah, what, what is the fact with the bull market? It's often with the people. You might think it's a good idea to cost average into the into the market once mm-hmm. once it's down, right? Um, yeah. So, but we know how people often react emotionally, and it yeah it it sometimes doesn't from for a lot of people it just doesn't feel right to invest in something which was red the last couple of weeks because they emotionally mm-hmm. have the feeling when is the bottom is it is it really going up again. And on the other middle of the side, it's like people really going in when the market is going up like crazy and then getting burned once it like consolidates. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually a good use case because a lot of people use coin rule because they don't want to be caught in the, in, the, in the emotional side. So they want to set set like an exit point and that, you know, they want to stick to it. So if mm-hmm. there's a robot doing for them that, you know, they, they, they feel more comfortable. Yeah. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. It's a, either you take a set of take profit, so you say, Okay, I'm gonna ride the volatility. If I make 20%, I'm out. Or if it's going down, I don't know, 30%, that's my risk tolerance I can take, then I'm out. Yes, totally. Perfect, guys. And so what keeps you up at night as a CEO in this space? <laughs> you can start, Gabriel. <laughs> I can start. I mean, um, <laughs> I'm not, I mean, I would say like I'm not I'm not sure, like. I come from a creative background and obviously, you know, I'm Italian, so I'm very chilled about everything. So I have very good sleep at night. You know, I'm not so anxious, but I can see how my co-founders are a little bit more anxious than me. Uh, so so I have like a very kind of uh, work-life balance approach to, 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 uh, to uh, you know, having a company and being an entrepreneur. Uh, but I think the most thing that I worry about usually is keeping talent. Um, so... I, I'm, a, I'm by nature an organizer, even with my friends. So I just try to make, uh, you know, the, the, the workplace, uh, you know, as nice as possible for everyone and to try to think out of the box. So uh, basically my biggest fear, it's uh, what if uh, my you know, tech co-founder leave? What if uh, my, my tech lead leaves? These are my biggest fear. So I always try to then find the ways. Like now I'm thinking about we are adding a healthy insurance for everyone, a private one all around the world. Obviously, our team is fully remote, so it's a bit challenging, but we found this very good comment that does it from Nigeria to Maldives to UK to Italy. So it's pretty good. Then uh, we are adding a kind of food uh, you know, delivery allowance for everyone. Uh, so we and, and also we we uh, we give everyone in the company a credit a company card so they can actually use it they can add it to their own uh, Uber Eats or whatever uh, and um, and also I'm now also looking to uh, add the diversity to the team 
Um, so with the, I want to recruit actually some moms because that's a category of people that uh, you know no one look at. And it's very difficult as a mom if you have a lot of expertise in a specific field, but you can only work two hours a day. Uh, you know, no one basically employees. So I'm like looking to explore those things, also to have more balance in the company because also when you have gender diversity, it's more fun to go to work. Um, and also we we obviously provide a co-working space desk wherever you are in the world, so that people can go two three times a week. You know, in a co-working space at least to feel you know to be surrounded by people instead of just being home. So I think my my big worries is all about this like culture and people and HR. Yeah, I can imagine it's sometimes hard to like really get this, yeah, that, that, that we're like, you want unit feeling, the unit feeling in the company yeah. is distributed remotely, especially, I don't know, um, it's um, it sounded like that your people are also like distributed that much that they're not always in the same time zone. So somebody's yeah. in somebody is like, yeah, US. we try to keep plus minus two hours, but then we still have someone in the Maldives that, you know, so, but yeah, that's the range kind of. I can completely imagine that. We are right now in this lucky position that everybody is really in Vienna. So um, our so we offer 100% flexibility. So you're not forced to go to the office. You can do as much home office as you want. And also remote work is fine. But especially initially um, when we started like our first hiring speed, we, we were really focusing on trying to have people here in Vienna and offered everybody the possibility to actually come to Vienna. We take care of the process and everything. And for us that just being together it just made the culture work. And so I cannot really imagine how it is completely remotely because we sometimes feel it. We often start with a, um, like remote positions that somebody is remote for like, for example, three months, but after a while they normally move here. And always that this period of three months was really hard to build up this personal connection. People become really friends and like a family in the end. Um, so yeah, so it's so interesting hearing, hearing more how, how you structured because, yeah. because I really think work is changing to 100 flexibility and we also want to offer that and remote shouldn't be a blocking factor to not get a job but I, on the other hand i it feels a bit hard to really have that power of a team when you're not in the same room and you actually don't know like people on the person i mean we do for example we do like a, a, a retreat every uh, four months so three retreats per year somewhere in europe and they are like one week long uh, but then, um, I mean, I have a lot of ideas in this stuff because I'm, I'm a nomad myself. I've been for the last uh, five years nomad. Like so, and okay. uh, you know, it turns out that also if you're a nomad or if you like to work remotely, if you like to co-live with other people, uh, you know, there's a, an element of loneliness. So actually, uh, if you maybe there's the best scenario will be like if you work for a company, uh, you know, and then every three months per year you can just work from somewhere else, and then you go back. So you have a base, but then you can also live a little bit more in a in a in a remote way. And those three months, it can be that you spend it with your family in your home country, or you can just travel if you are much younger. Uh, you know, so there are like several models of flexibility, but it has to work for your culture, right, for your team. Yeah, yeah. yeah we actually just recently changed it about a month ago. So especially like in, in Austria, um, and at the end of the year, of the last year, like end of 2021, it was like a big um, corona crisis again. So like lockdown again, the, the cases went up like crazy, like everybody got sick. And we just decided, okay, now, we cannot have the office open. People get like they infect each um, each other, so it doesn't work mm -hmm. out. And then we switched to uh, remote first principle for three months, two and two and a half three months, and we saw that it actually worked out great. Like 
we had no impact at all at productivity. People like to hang out also in the evening, sometimes like just smaller groups met, um, met up. They were playing games together, like uh, like online gaming. And so, yeah. so it still worked out really well. As I, I think it worked out that well because everybody knew each other already quite well. So, so they were in the office, yeah. they had the personal detection. And what, how we, but why, because we saw it worked out that well, we were like, Actually, we trust everybody, so fuck it. Everybody should decide it themselves if they go to the office, <laughs> work remotely, if they work from Italy, or if they work from also if they work from Germany. It doesn't make a difference for us, and we also don't have like time tracking or anything. It's just like, yeah, trust based. But yeah, yeah. I think it's what for us would be the hard thing is how do you start this initial culture, like when when it's still this this family time, like this family phase of the company. Yeah. Was really about we spend every minute together and it's yeah we're family <laughs> yeah i also i found that if you have a model that is half and a half it's very difficult to to manage because you know some policies are like online some policies are offline so either switch fully remote or fully on site you know having half and a half is also a bit complicated we did it for a while like for one year yeah exactly because we we have like the whole office is built up in a um like a SEMA remote setup. So there's everybody, uh, there's everywhere a big screen. We have always okay. meetings, so we share screens. We actually don't use white birds or something. So we use mirror. So mirror is great. Mm. So you can actually like brainstorm there. Um, you have Notion. So already also when we work in person, we use remote tools to work together. So it does make a difference yeah. if somebody at home or not. So actually the, the brainstorming part, that's what I miss the most with remote, especially for the product design, uh, you know, sessions like, yeah, uh, mirror is nice. I like it, but still like, you know, when you're in the same room, like sketching. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good, good stuff, guys. And so obviously we've, we've spoke about what keeps you up at night. Um, I suppose we've touched on one or two things with regards to regulation. What would you change about the crypto sector if you had a magic wand? Oh, about the crypto landscape? Yeah. <laughs> um, a couple of things. I would say like one really important thing which has to come to the space is clear regulation in most of it. Like in, especially now, especially looking at the European Union, there's a lot of uncertainty across crypto assets in like every country has different rules for cryptocurrencies. Even though we are in the European Union, there is no unique, uh, like unified regulation where I say, okay, I have this license, I can do that and that. If I have that license, I can do that, that and that. And I think that makes it really hard um, for startups, which are a bit more flexible and say, okay, we figured it out, we're gonna make it work somehow to collaborate with institutional companies or corporates, which are more risk averse and need more security. Um, so I think not having the right regulation is an innovation block in the end. It, it shouldn't be too strict, otherwise you cannot do stuff, but it also has to have a clear like frame so you know where you can move in and what is possible and how can we collaborate, what, what are like the, the points where we can touch on. And the second thing is, I think the crypto space is filled with people who just want to make a quick buck and also projects which facilitate that. I'm really critical with meme coins, for example. I don't see a lot of value in meme coins, but they are still a huge part of the um, of the of the market space itself. Like if you look at the market capitalizations, they are not that low. And there's a lot of money going in. But a lot of people just throwing money at projects without actually thinking about the value which is happening. And I think so. The value 
the value and creation is often decoupled from pricing and people are often in the space just to make money. And I think that's not, not the best case. And that's just how the crypto market is, has developed in the last couple of years because there's a lot of media around it. There's a lot of innovation happening. Prices just move too quickly, but it's a technical, technologically complicated space. So nobody actually takes the time to really understand it. So I think what, what, a, what is a really important um, job right now for us as company founders is to build the interfaces to really make it accessible and understandable to do something in that market. Is it trading? Is it investment? But it's also one layer above to actually having applications on it. I think Sorare is actually doing a great job with it. It uses NFTs, blockchain-based um, tokens, basically, to uh, mirror fantasy football. So you have a normal, let's call it normal, um, um, for normal people use case, you can just do play fantasy football, but based on crypto technology. But you have the perfect interface to use it. And this is what has to happen in this space. It's just not about like making fancy technologies and like, okay, this is more scalable and yeah, we, we can do that, that and that theoretically. It's a lot about now where the focus should be, how can we make it actually accessible that people want to use it? But because what do we do with the most scalable blockchain on this uh, in the world? If nobody wants to use it because it's too complicated. I think the Euro 2020 ticketing platform in the UK well, over the last year, last summer, that was all on um, on the blockchain, wasn't it? It was like the most secure e-ticketing platform ever because it was timestamped mm -hmm. rather than people sending fake PDFs or something like that. So, yeah, that's a definite interesting use case that I know about. Yeah, I How think over the long term, what, what should happen to blockchain or crypto technology in general is it has to move so much uh, behind it is really just a technology layer, but you as a user don't feel a difference if you're using a web three application, which is based on, uh, on crypto or web two application. So you go on on any platform, there's in background, some things are decentralized, but you don't notice it as a user. It's just, you don't have to notice it every time. So if you, for example- Yeah, but that, that will happen. That will happen, you know, easily yeah. because that's the kind of the, the cycle of every big technology, right? You know, they, they, they get adopted as the, the mainstream technology on the back office first. It's like the telcos, right? They were using VoIP technology for the last 20 years and still charging the customer as, you know, you were using minutes on your on your calls <laughs> and your text. This is the first step. And then the second step yep. that people will understand the VoIP technology. So I think, yeah, the, the financial market will absorb all the, all the blockchain technologies and, and they will make good use of it, hopefully. Mm -hmm. And then going back to the to the, um, to the regulators, um, actually the regulators, they are in a very strange position, especially like the FCA in the UK. So I've gone through like the sandbox program uh, like a few years ago with another companies and we got into the crypto asset uh, list with them. But then, you know, whenever you talk to them, there's always this position that, uh, you know, we can tell you off when you do something wrong and we can punish you, but then we cannot tell you what to do. So we cannot give you advice on what to do. Yeah. So you know, it's like like a basically when you're five years old and you're playing with toys, and at some point your mom comes and tells you off, and you don't even know why, basically, and you don't even know what what's the right thing to do. Uh, they, they, that's the feeling as 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 a, as a startup, as a company. It's like you you in this territory where you don't know if you're getting fined or not, and regulations are not clear. But because basically the the the, the financial authorities are authorities are really reactive. And not proactive towards building the ecosystem, and I think that would be would be nice to, to, to see in the, in the sector, kind of the, you know the switching of mindset. I know that the Australian uh, financial conduct authority is pretty advanced as well. Um, the UK obviously it's good, uh, even if they don't have passporting anymore to a certain degree. Um, but uh, I mean in Europe I would say we are a little bit more 
lucky than than in the US. In the US, really, you need to almost apply to each single state if you want like uh, a proper license. So, uh, Europe potentially maybe is the best in the world at the moment because you get, for example, in Estonia, you can passport it. Um, yeah, yeah, in the EU. Uh, but I think that that will change as well. Regulation and also like I will also have more kind of uh, blockchain applied to real problems, like to kind of very good use case about environment, climate tech, uh, you know, learning instead of just uh, you know uh, cryptocurrencies being applied on speculation and finance. You know, we have all this huge technology. Why don't we use it, you know, for other things as well that are uh, for, for you know important matters. <laughs> So, with regard to um, regulation itself, what are your thoughts on El Salvador and what they're doing with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency? They've basically made it legal tender. Is that um, is that something you've got views on, or have you have you heard about it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not too, so I don't know, like I'm not too deep into the topic that I can really say what was the impact on the economy. I read some articles around it that actually they, it didn't make a lot of difference for the people there because it didn't get adopted as a legal tender in, in a practical way. I think it can make sense, especially for countries with a really unstable currency. They try to, to detach from their yeah, from this, uh, from the uh, instability of the currency to go into a more decentralized way of uh, currency stability. It's it's hard to say. I don't know. I'm not an expert in monetary policies. I mean, it worked well in attracting you know more capital from from abroad. But at the end of the day, like you know, if you still have like, some mechanisms that are centralized, you know, like you know, a central bank that's actually issuing money and deciding how much you know the, the inflation there is, there, there there is no big change. I mean, it was already one step towards you know the uh, centralized finance. If the centralized finance is something that can really happen, uh, you know, in the next decade or so, because you know there is still all the all the all the governance of of, of a state and all or how do you you know, there is this, uh, you know, we always look at quantitative easing and inflation like as bad things, but sometimes, you know, it, it's needed to actually fix some dynamics, uh, you know, some power structure across monetary policies. So, I mean, there is like a big conversation to have how, uh, you know, the the, the, the central bank issued stable coins are going to be, you know, issued in Europe, in the US, and how also the monetary uh, system will, will react to it and what, what uh, uh, the institution will put in place in order to, to manage that. Uh, I think obviously the pure decentralization like we had it in the early days of finance in a blockchain, uh, it's almost utopia, it won't happen, but it would be nice to see what hybrid system will, will come up. Yeah, I've seen it was massively popular in Argentina and Turkey actually, uh, stable coins, mm -hmm. probably due to in inflation. Yeah. All right, well, moving on to more of a, a managerial question. Um, according to the seven habits of highly effective people, management is doing things right and leadership is doing the right things. Did you have a challenge moving from an operational role to a more strategic leadership role? I would say my role is still 50-50. <laughs> I'm still doing a lot of operational when I feel like there are things to be done. In the end, as a founder, I don't know, like in the state where our um, company is right now, it's really in this transitionary phase where there are a lot of people who uh, take over a lot of operational jobs. But as a founder, you always jump in if there's something to do and nobody takes care of it. I guess that's at least an outside the case. <laughs> so it is always uh, like a juggling around with, okay, I have to focus on the long-term perspective. Um, like how are we gonna 
reach our goals, our vision, but also, okay, I don't know, like I have to do custom interviews because I need to know something and I want to hear it um, firsthand. So it's always this, this jumping around between uh, both fronts. And I think that's also what um, a founder ultimately makes, makes him success. We have to be flexible and you have to adopt what is important in the right moment. Um, I actually don't really have a have a problem giving away certain tasks or certain parts of the of the job because I know I'm not the best in everything. <laughs> so didn't didn't break my neck yet. Yeah, I think same for me. I think I'm more like a leader type, like that. I always the one saying what we should do and I kind of holding the, the stick on on some principles in the company. Uh, but then I think like there are better people than me in the team, like you know, that do the things right in the right way. Um, and also like you know, management. I mean, I think they're kind of complementary, right? Management and leadership. You need to practice both in order to have, uh, you know, everything running smoothly. Um, but in terms of operation versus management. I mean, yeah, it's like uh, I agree with Alex. It's always like you know, you go left and right. Some sometimes you need to put the hats on and think about vision long term, and uh, it's kind of you need to dream, uh, you know, and and kind of fly. And then uh, you know, ne next uh, next second you have the server going down, and you need to go and actually start coding or start designing. So at the moment, actually, we still don't have a product designer. I'm doing design, and my company still, and being the CEO. It's like when you have a, a band, and then you have like the, the singer. It's also a drummer, basically. Um, so I'm like, <laughs> so I'm like at night I turn into a designer because that's actually because I, I didn't find yet uh, someone that I really trust in order to delegate all the user experience of the app. Uh, but I, I think that will be for me for me the next step, like uh, learn how to delegate the product design to someone else mm -hmm. and be happy with it. But then what happened is that I we we had some designer. Then with them, I need to be a design manager, right? So I need to go into details and stuff, and and I don't have much time with that. It's, it's not that you get like a design lead and then all of a sudden it's over your problem. It's like, you know, having got the design system in place and the team that can 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 naturally spin out a proper like a process. Um, so I would say like there's not not right answer, but at our stage we're around 15 to 20 people. I think it feels right that I'm still like also like probably 60% management leadership and 40% and so on. It feels kind of right because you still want to actually we had a, a trading specialist till uh, three months ago. And then you know he he, uh, he left because he had like a much better offer. After four years, he was fine. That you know was his next step, uh, and uh, it actually was a very good thing for us because we got again in touch with the users. I'm now personally uh, spending half an hour, one hour a day on intercom, uh, literally talking with the users. So we kind of you know we we, we again we we really connected with our user base at very like uh, personal level, and that that's the best thing a founder can do. Perfect, thanks, Gabriel. Uh, I understand you've got a question or two for Alex, actually. Oh yeah, just like what do you guys, what do you think about uh, you banning proof of work? It was like a fresh news, I think, a couple of days ago. Yeah, yeah, a couple yeah. of weeks or two weeks or something oh, like. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually was super surprised um, to see it. Uh, I saw it first. Okay, it got proposed, then they declined the proposal, and then just right before the voting, it re-entered the proposal, and luckily it was avoided. So. There's no uh, banning of proof of work. What I, got, what I was really surprised on was that this wasn't such a big news. Like I, I, I'm reading a lot of like international news and there was almost zero mention of the EU thinking about banning proof of work and actually with that banning Bitcoin and Ethereum. 
and also it had almost zero impact on um, on the price. Like I, I had to, I actually looked at, the, like I looked when when did the I mean, news go out and how did it affect the price? Zero. Like there was no correlation at all. And it's sometimes crazy that they're like bullshit news, which actually have like huge impact on the price. Like then it, then it's like the circle of yeah, okay, now now we have to sell, now we have to buy. Like people getting emotional, but something which is actually critical for the whole ecosystem just goes like yeah, okay. Nobody really cares. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so too fast. Yeah, yeah. And I think that would have just been a huge mistake for the whole ecosystem. You cannot yeah. ban Bitcoin and Ethereum in one specific ecosystem. Just say, okay, we are not accepting it. It's not allowed in our country. Mm. But then, what, what all, the, all, the, all the other players and all the other countries will still proceed um, going into the crypto space and like developing it. So it would have been a big mistake for the EU and especially a huge innovation blocker. Yeah, I've seen an interview it was crazy. yesterday. It was like really sad, I would say. Um, the CEO of ERCOT in Texas, you know, the, the power grid, saying, mm -hmm. talking about proof of work and Bitcoin and crypto mining, how it's absolutely revolutionizing their grid, because obviously the wind and the solar, that the excess power that's getting generated for the mining, it, it's balancing the grid. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like a, a massive plus, like a, a bonus on that side of things as well. Also, banning banning things seems like so much like from the last century, you know, yeah. like everything now is done with like uh, gentle nudging and, you know, buying in and kind of spreading virality and reaching the tipping point and like banning stuff is just very counterproductive, really. Yeah. Uh, it's like bringing, you know, how to, to remove part of the investment in finance. Oh, so, yeah, just ban something and then they will go somewhere else, basically. Yeah. People can just go somewhere else. When they want to have access, they're going to find a way to have access. And yeah, yeah. like China, they all went to Kazakhstan, Russia, Texas. Mm -hmm. All the miners. Um, have any of you guys got any more questions for each other? Yeah, I mean, really, you can talk a bit about how it was to go to Y Combinator. <laughs> I mean, it's, you, oh, Y Combinator, yeah. Uh, it was, you know, it was, it was a, very close it was a crazy time because your company actually yeah. was already making significant revenue. Yeah, I was a bit conflicted actually. You know, we had like long conversation if we should join or not uh, because we're already making a, like I think a million uh, ARR. And, and uh, you know, there were 400 companies, probably were one of the 10 companies that were making that amount already. And obviously you give 7% to Y Combinator, right, for the deal. Uh, and, and also another point that actually it's really close to my heart is that we are London-based. And, uh, you know, London as a city has given so much to me, at least in terms of support, offices, advices, everywhere. It's, an amazing, it's the best city in, in Europe to do, to do a startup, right? So I didn't really want to move the company to the U.S. But then, you know, uh, at the end of the day, we, we ended up doing it. And, uh, you know, the, the flip of the combine to Delaware took three months. And we spent something like $50,000, something crazy with the lawyers in the U.S. that are much more expensive than in the U.K. So there was this funny thing that uh, one, the lawyer actually uh, introduced us to a bank and they charged us $150 for, a, for an email, an intro email. That says, like, you guys should talk. Boom, $150. Like, no, now we have a rule. Every time he sends me an email, it's, it's in the subject. He has on meter, off meter. So we know if you are paying for it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, like at this level. So anyway, but yeah, all good. The program was amazing. We did it remotely. Uh, the batch was like 400 combines. But I believe now Y Combinator has changed the deal. So they take uh, they take in uh, many less, uh, less companies and also they give uh, 400k a little bit more in terms of funding. The program was great. We got mentored by you know a lot of very good founders. You know the guys from Coinbase, uh, Stripe, uh, Airbnb. It's like going back to uni, basically, and the and the, the people, the, the the network that you get also as an alumni, it's it's just like great. Uh, and then we did a demo there. We got more than 120 emails of investors. We did a very good fundraise within a week. 
uh, the, all, all of a sudden our valuation got like you know very high, became very high. So yeah, I think it's 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 a very good experience, like playing in a, in, a, in another league, going to the NBA, you know, and kind of and yeah. and, and kind of playing at, at that level. So overall, yeah, it's good. And now the, now they also have the growth program, so you're also invited to the next program. So it really helps you step by step. So I really recommend everyone uh, to join, uh, especially because of the network and the alumni, and they have a lot of events and conversation constantly. So it's not just the program, and then that's it. But actually, it really follows you uh, along your journey. Are some are some of your mentors like you mentioned the guys from Airbnb, Coinbase, etc. Are they actually like angel investors in the company also? Like not them, but we got uh, notable investors. So we got the co-founder of Twitch, uh, the founder of uh, Kayak.com, the founder of Fitbit, uh, and also like a fund where Navaravikan also invested. So you know you get uh, also very good people, and we can call them up because. Uh, you have, they have, y Combinator is a very good intranet where you can you get literally the emails of all the founders, so you can just talk to them. And since you have YC, they actually reply to you. Uh, yeah. And last week, for example, I talked with uh, Tom from Monzo, you know, uh, you know, give us some advices. So, because I think he's now a supervisor uh, at, at YC as well. So, yeah, yeah. I, really, I really recommend everyone to, to join because it's still the best accelerator in the world. Mm-hmm. Crazy, yeah, sounds, sounds awesome. <laughs> Perfect, guys. Anything else you'd like to discuss or add? I mean, we can go on forever. I think, I think uh, at some point, uh, Alex, uh, I always go to the Pioneer Festival in uh, in Vienna uh, every year. You know, so yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, they don't do it like yeah for the last few years they didn't do it. But before the pandemic, I went I think two or three times. So yeah, next time I'm there, we should go for for. Yeah, thing. yeah, definitely hit me up. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually then, South Tyrolean, so half Italian, you can call it. Oh, that's perfect. Okay. <laughs> perfect. Just, yeah. just a, a final one for me then. Predictions by 2025 for Bitcoin and Ethereum. I hate oh. price predictions. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a bit of fun. Oh, the easy bit, one. But... Bitcoin 100k easily. Why don't you do yeah, that? Yeah. Bitcoin 100k, I also would say. Ethereum. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that is going to be. Ethereum is harder because it's like actually interchanging. Yeah, 100k and let's say 10k, something like that. I mean, it's out of the blue, doesn't mean anything. Oh, come on, as a, as a <laughs> PI like me. Oh, no, absolutely enjoyed that, guys. Really, absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having you on. Um, and yeah, I'd love to do part two again, you know, in the next couple okay. months if you ever have time. Um, so yeah, today we covered what what the CEOs enjoyed about being in the crypto sector, the challenges, what keeps them up at night, what they would change about the, the crypto sector, um, one or two management questions, and 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 at the end there a couple of price predictions. Um, yeah, you, you've listened to the Evolution Exchange podcast. My name's Mike Sullivan, and I'm your host. If you'd like to be on future podcasts, please message me on LinkedIn in the DM or email it, email me at michael.sullivan at evolution.contract.co.uk. Thanks very much for having you on, guys, and we'll catch you up soon.